0: It's a privilege to be here this morning with you. I enjoyed the Sunday school hour and the teaching, and just uh, the spirit of uh, that I sensed—the spirit of worship this morning. And I, it's my it's my hope and prayer that we can continue to draw from God's word for our daily lives, and uh, and in particularly for the work at hand in that of a need of a deacon. To serve as deacon, and I'm so thankful for the church, and uh, that God has seen fit to design the church for our benefit, for for our blessing, and that we can be a part of the family of God in this way. <clears throat> Some time ago, there was. Uh, devotional reading in uh, the devotional book beside the still waters I don't know if you're familiar with that but I like to use that and the writer um, I forget who he's what his name was but he he mentioned how he made a comparison of how our government goes about establishing leaders and how the church goes about choosing and establishing. Isn't it quite a difference? Um, You know, the world's form of government and methods of choosing leaders follows very selfish patterns. Um, Seeking position and in that position, greatness and control uh, is just a whole different and I'm so glad I'm not part of that uh, system. But <clears throat> the people of God uh, and, and the process that we use in our conservative churches <clears throat> are so, diff- so vastly different than the world's approach. And uh, done very orderly, God uh, and His Word are, are the focus, His Spirit's direction, and we look at biblical qualifications and we through that process have a time of interview or examination and uh, if there's more than one we use the lot and let god decide isn't it so different than the world system and i'm so glad to be part of the church this morning and uh, as we think of qualifications or qualities in in leadership Um Howard Bean, in his book, I believe it 's titled The Good Minister. he says that he mentions in his book that god uh, as he say, he says god um uh, doesn't call the qualified but he qualifies the call, and yes we we do look at qualifications and we you know, there's a human element that God uses in choosing leaders in the church, um, and that's that's God's plan. Um, but you know, it's uh, when God chooses a leader, uh, God also qualifies that leader. I, I think of of um, well, Moses was one, you know he he thought he can't speak you know and and uh <clears throat> and yet God qualified him, and he called him, and that we could look at many others too. Another thing I want to think about this morning is uh or for us to think about is that we follow <clears throat> you know Jesus gave us. The perfect example and he is the perfect one and so we can follow his example in our in our work of the church or in our lives Um, and Jesus um, you know one day he observed some strife among his disciples and their discussion was, uh, which of them should be the greatest? And what did he remind them? He reminded them of the world's method. He pointed to the Gentiles and how they, they look to lord over and, and flaunt authority and, and seek honor. And it, Jesus said, but ye shall not be so. You shall not be that way. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. And Jesus said, I am among you as he that serves. And that's what Jesus came to be, to be a servant. Uh, He took on the form of the servant, the likeness of men. He didn't come to make a reputation he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. And he exemplified, we find that in Philippians 2, he exemplified a life of humility and service that God had called him and sent him for. And of course, the ultimate sacrifice he made for us that we can experience salvation today. <clears throat> Proverbs 29:23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. I found this here. It says, uh, Biblical humility means believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own. It, it requires embracing who you are in Christ over who you are in the flesh. And to be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you unreservedly elevate those around you. And that we find in Philippians 2 as well, that let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And... Uh, Yes, he was, uh, our example, he was the perfect one. So this morning, as it was already mentioned, looking for um, some thoughts on choosing and ordaining a deacon. I believe it's in God's plan today for the church to have deacons within the body, the church body. And that God calls men, he calls godly men <clears throat> to fill this office. And deacons do fill an important role in the church today. We do need deacons. And as I think of our fellowship, the Mid-Atlantic Mennonite Fellowship, <clears throat> we have an annual conference meeting every year in March. and. Uh, this past March about each year that we give a there's a report given of all those that were ordained in the past year and this past March they gave a report on those that were ordained the previous year and there was 13 ordained and uh, <clears throat> so far this since March of this year there's been 10 ordained within the fellowship and there'll be a few more and out of those Uh, the Lord willing, there will be five deacons ordained. And uh, so, yes, I believe it's in God's plan today to to have deacons. We do need uh, deacons. It's important work. Uh, And it's a high calling. And so it does take time for prayer. And I know you've been praying. I've been praying for this for quite some time and getting more recently and preparing the message, um, praying for you as a congregation as you seek God's leading. And until the Lord returns for his bride, the church, the work of the church must go forward. It must continue on. It's God's work and it's his church. And so I know that ordination times are Are very special times very special occasions for for the congregation and I also believe this morning they're very special to God and he is looking down at this very time and watching over us Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body and we are therefore to be subject unto Christ submitting ourselves, one to another, in the fear of God. And so, as we think of ordaining, um, the ordination, uh, we, we, we recognize that God is our authority, and uh, we need God's direction. And then, the part of submissiveness and obedience on our part, willing to follow God's leading as he leads. And uh, so the questions that we could ask ourselves this morning is uh, who should be a deacon? And what does the Bible say deacons should do? And uh, the third question, what, what process should we use in choosing a deacon? Those are the three questions I thought of as I, and uh, <clears throat> probably be touching on them throughout the message. I don't, I didn't systemize it in a one, two, three step necessarily. But think about that as we go through the message this morning. As we think of qualifications, qualifications are character qualities that make a person who they are. In personal life, in family life, and in church life. Character, qual, character qualities that make a person who they are in, in all of life. The dictionary says it's a qualification is a, a quality or a skill that fits a person for office. in Acts chapter 1, which our brother referred to, um, we go into a few scriptures here and uh, you don't need to turn to this, but you're welcome to. But Acts chapter 1, uh, we have uh, the disciples were so they had seen Jesus go up to heaven and uh, they came together at Jerusalem in the upper room. They met together for prayer. They were in prayer a group of about 120 believers um, praying. Judas, Judas was gone, and uh, the decision was made that someone should be ordained to take the place of Judas and uh, to be a witness and to take part of the ministry and Apostleship with the other 11. And we find one qualification given for the one who was to be chosen and ordained in in verse 22 or 21 and 22. Acts 1, 21. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So it was to be one who had been one from among the them who had been with them and who had uh, been there during that whole time from the John's baptizing till till Jesus was taken up to heaven that they could be a witness of the resurrection one who had a general knowledge of the life and the, and the works and the teachings of Jesus someone who was um, a witness That was what they considered to be essential Uh, to be qualified. So that was one qualification there and two names were given there uh, Justice and Matthias. And Matthias was um, the lot was used and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And, And so in that whole account here, and I believe that the New Testament church sets the pattern for us today to follow. Um, and I'm thankful we go to this chapter many times through ordinations and it's a big help to us on how to how to ordain and um, <clears throat> the process that is used. So we have here the qualification it was to be one of their company and we have the choosing the the group of 120 that were gathered there, they were consulted and they were uh, involved in the process. And, uh, so the, and then it was God-led. They prayed, they, they spent time in prayer and uh, they uh, let God uh, give answer their prayers. And when all that was done, the matter was settled. Matthias was named with uh, with the eleven. So, who should be a deacon? I'd like to look at First Timothy, chapter three. First Timothy, chapter three. And uh, in this in this in this uh, chapter here, we have the word deacon is found here. Um, actually, the word deacon is found two places in Scripture. The other place is in Philippians one. I don't think I'll take time to turn to that one, where it mentions there the bishops and deacons. But here, um, the word deacon is found four times, and. Uh, it, the word deacon is from the Greek word, for uh, uh, which is diaconos, if I say that right, and it means to serve. And so the deacon is called to serve. It means an attendant or a waiter at a table or other menial duties. In, a new, in the New Testament, the word is also translated as servant. And it's also translated as a minister, that word deacon, that same Greek word, diakonos. This passage here is the only passage that um, really that uh, mentions the qualifications for deacons. Um, verses 8 to 13 here in this passage. And uh, Paul gives this uh, maybe not as an official, but as, a, uh, well, it is officially, um, official qualifications, but maybe not complete a complete exhaustive list. <clears throat> okay, let's read these verses. Um, 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Likewise must deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, and not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderers sober, faithful in all things let the deacons be husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own houses well for they have used the office of a deacon well they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in christ jesus So we in this chapter we don't have um, necessarily the function of the deacon. Uh, the function, his function, or what he does, is not necessarily spelled out here. And yet the qualifications that are given for deacons suggest somewhat his function or his his role. And so um, in verse eight it says there not um not greedy for gain and it seems that this would carry some responsibility in caring for the needs of the church since um this was a re- this was a qualification that they were not um greedy of gain for gain for money they Also, uh, perhaps had some administrative responsibilities in other activities of the church as well, because it says here, we read, they were to manage their children and their households well. So they're supposed to be good managers in the home. And so that would tend to indicate they were given administrative responsibilities in the church. For activities within the church, also they were likely involved in some visitation, maybe house-to-house visitation and counseling, because their it says here their wives were not to be slanderers. Sometimes the deacon needs to be accompanied by his wife when he does some house visits. Uh, making a visit and uh, he may need to do some counseling and his wife needs to be able to maintain confidentiality and not to spread things and so yeah if we had time to look at Acts 6 uh, we could also say from that passage that They may also have had uh, um, been uh, given the responsibility to meet the physical needs of those in the church and the community who needed help. In that case, it was the the, uh, widows were being neglected. And so that was another function of the deacon. We do see that... We didn't read the first verses in this chapter. The first verses point towards the elder or the bishop. And there are some comparisons there with qualifications for the bishop and also for the deacon. Some, he, uh, he does make some uh, similar qualifications there. Such as um, not being greedy of dishonest gain in verse 3. Uh, blameless Uh, verse verse 2 talks about the bishop needs to be blameless some of the same requirements husband of one wife able to manage his household and uh, but as we think of all these qualifications or qualities um, I believe the focus is more on the on the person's character uh, and what kind of character he has than, than it is so much on gifts. Uh, <clears throat> so we have in these verses, <clears throat> we have ten qualifications required for deacons in these verses here. And I would just take a little time to unpack them a l- here a bit. Um, the first few, I think four of them, we find in verse 8. Um, the first one I have listed as integrity. He needs to be a man of integrity. Uh, the, he uses the word grave. Likewise must deacons be grave. And that word means to be worthy of respect, uh, to be honorable, to be, to be well thought of by others. Um, some of the meaning behind that word grave. Respectable. Um, Being able to um, in daily life to make sound judgment and and um, to uh, live in honesty and, and that, that of being dependable and loyal. Some of the things that go along with being grave. <clears throat> and as the, per- the one who is a man of integrity, who has these qualities, he then can be trusted. And that takes us to the next one, of not double tongued, and I have put tagged that as trustworthy, <clears throat> A man of integrity, and that can be tr- trustworthy. He can be trusted, not double tongued. Um, and so that double tongued, I don't think. I think this is the only place we find that word in in scripture, used, but it means that of. Of uh you know not being vague or misleading or confusing or you know just unclear or what you know um, saying one thing you know to one person and then maybe changing the story when relating to someone else he needs to be a man of his word he can be trusted i know. Uh, NOT TWO-FACED AND INSINCERE. WHEN A PERSON CANNOT BE TRUSTED BY WHAT HE SAYS, HE LACKS CREDIBILITY. AND I TRIED TO THINK OF AN EXAMPLE OF THAT. um, PLACE WHERE I WORK, WE HAVE A a SALES MANAGER. Uh, HE'S BEEN SALES MANAGER FOR YEARS, but. and uh over the all the sales meetings and things that i was sat in over the years uh, i don't anymore but um you know he he never he never really mentioned god until COVID, and that it sort of changed things a little there but different times he uh I have realized that he has not been truthful. Some things he said that um, I uh, I had to really question his motive, why, why he's why. And uh, <clears throat> one time I I did confront him on that, and he he couldn't couldn't really give an answer. But my point is, when a person is gonna speak on truth at certain times, for certain reasons, then you always put a question mark behind what they say. Well, is it true? And so, yeah, not double-tongued, not uh, being truthful not, and being trustworthy. The third one we find also in this verse is that of self disciplined or not given to much wine self-control um and you know i don't know today i know i hear stories of our ancestors who back in the day in their day they had a wine bottle in in their cellar for when they were sick um, that they used and that maybe you know that was probably okay I, i believe today there's no place for a wine bottle there's, uh, we, we have so many things available for our medical needs that that should not be a part of our lives. And it, when they did that, they had um, used it in wrong ways sometimes. And we know what happens with the use of wine and uh, the Ill, Ill behavior that follows and all. But yes, a person that is in self-control And uh, I believe that if someone would be addicted to wine, they would not qualify for the office of deacon. And I believe when we are are, we we exercise self-control in certain areas, it builds self-control in us in other areas or self-discipline and uh, and i can testify that in my own life Um, and i realize you know spiritual growth comes and we grow over time but i was uh, you know just the um, example i was diagnosed with diabetes and i made the choice to uh, Rather than go on insulin, because I did have a pretty serious case of diabetes, and rather than go on insulin, I decided to go on a strict diet. And uh, I do take some medication, but uh, but that took discipline. And I learned that, and it's not difficult for me today. And I when I look at that, it has helped me discipline myself in other areas of my life as well. and. Uh, so yes, we it needs to be a uh, someone who has who lives a disciplined life in all areas of life. The fourth one is that of being honest, not greedy of filthy lucre, <clears throat> not um, seeking after uh, mon- material things, and. Um, and that of gaining a lot of wealth and uh, I believe uh, when it talks about filthy lucre it's speaking of dishonest gain gaining things in a dishonest way or or just going about things in a sleazy way uh, th- ways that are disgraceful um, You know, if a person is a lover of money, he's not qualified to be a deacon, especially since the deacons are, in our setting anyway, handle the financial matters of the church. The next one is being faithful. Um, And this is um, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith. In a pure conscience. Being sound in faith and life. Holding or possessing the truth of the gospel in a pure conscience. The word pure it means clean um, or clear, uh, morally pure in, in a moral aspect. And uh, it, it says there, um, and let those first be proved, and so, yeah, needs to be uh, proven to be um, to have that quality, and and so I think when I think of that in today's terms, we talk about a person's track record. What is their track record? Yeah, we all make mistakes, and in, in life, and. Uh, do things that we wish we wouldn't have done. I've done them, but you know, if it's a consistent track record of things that point to uh, unfaithfulness, not keeping the gospel. um, Yeah, so it needs to be someone who is faithful. The behavior of a deacon must be consistent with his beliefs. The next one we find in verse 10 he must uh, have a good reputation first be proved we did touch on that a little bit Um, but paul doesn't um, specify here what type or kind of testing was to take place but um, i think in in thinking of uh, a time of, of being proved, having a good reputation, it's looking at a person's background and uh, maybe similar to the one we talked about earlier. <clears throat> his reputation, his doctrinal beliefs should be, should be examined. A person's track record shows um, you know how has he served the church in his in his uh, in the past Um, it should be a person who has served the church well willing to serve willing to sacrifice and give himself for the work of the church another one in verse 10 is um, to be found blameless that of beyond reproach, found um, irreproachable, and I, I believe blameless is a is a general general term that refers to a person's overall character. Can we really be blameless? Is that possible? Um, Colossians, or actually 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless, that you may be blameless. Speaking of, of being the end, of, you know, when Christ comes and we stand before God, that we can be, Paul's desire for, for the Corinthian church was that they would be found blameless. And so if we can be found blameless, then why can't we be blameless in, uh, during our life? living above reproach verse 11 talks about the wives um, and so this, here we have to he must be a man who has a godly wife he must have a godly wife according to Paul a deacon's wife must be grave and we talked about that being worthy of respect and so it's in essence the same requirement for the wife as it is for him not slanders um, a slander is a false false accuser uh, it's a slander is a person who makes false statements about a person uh, misrepresenting them or even you know, that of speaking and damaging another person's reputation. Criticizer, confronter, and fault finder, the three words that go along with a slanderer. But be sober minded and faithful in all things. Sober is that of, has the same meaning. Um, It means being circumspect, being... um, It's the same word that, for the bishop, talks about in verse... uh, Oh, beginning of the chapter there about being uh, vigilant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, verse 2. It's the same Greek word. Being circumspect, being prudent, being cautious, careful to consider, you know, the different angles of circumstances and uh, yeah yeah. so she must be uh, a dignified and respectable person not someone who goes around spreading gossip a deacon's wife must also be sober-minded or temperate and also able to make good judgments and uh, not involved in things that might hinder that sound judgment, judgment, faithful in all things. So the next one we have is in verse 12, and that speaks of moral purity. He must be a man of moral purity, the husband of one wife. And I believe the best interpretation for this, um, it can we can maybe be a little unsure of what Paul meant here but I believe I take it to mean that he is to be a one woman man there is one woman in his life and that's in, in which he relates to in an intimate way and um you know other others are he, he is very discreet very careful how he relates to other Other women the last one is in verse 10 uh, or I'm sorry verse uh, 12 again and that is ruling their children and their own houses well and I listed that one as a spiritual leader he must be a man that is a spiritual leader for his children, for his wife, good managers of their children. And that is so important in uh, the life of the deacon that he is, that has that spiritual leadership in his home. Leading out in family worship, leading out in the decisions that involve our spiritual lives so much in our families. So we had uh, 10 of them there, integrity, trustworthy, self-disciplined, honest, faithful, a good reputation, above reproach, have a godly wife, moral priority, and a spiritual leader. Is that asking too much? Are we, uh, or can we possibly meet all the qualifications? Well, you know, we will not find someone who's perfect. None of us are perfect. But it should be someone who is working towards these qualities. And really, all these qualities are for each one of us. It's not just for our leaders, it is for each one of us to have these qualities in our lives. And then God can use us in building his kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, the work of the church will go forward, it will go on. and It is God's plan for the church to continue to be faithful from one generation to the next. I look at my uh, my ministry team at Fairhaven, and I'm one of the team. I'm 64 years old. But when I think back to, I was 14 years old when I first started attending our church. Um, and uh, as I look back over the leadership of our congregation, uh, and today we have all new leadership uh, from when our church would have started. And so I think of that as, you know, from generation to generation, and God is faithful to each generation and he provides leaders as they're needed. God, God was, uh, God uses faithful leaders to give direction and direct the affairs of the church. Without faithful leaders, the work of the church cannot prosper. Faithful leaders are are not in, indispensable. You know, as time moves on, le- leadership changes from one generation to the next. I thought about that with the children up front here this morning, they are the future church and there will be another generation if the Lord doesn't return and God raises up faithful um, you know, from children, they're, they're raised up, and God raises up people to be faithful leaders for the church today. And I, I always think that ordinations are a, a time when we uh, uh, we sense a deep appreciation for faithful leaders when we desire God's will. So God will give you the opportunity as a brotherhood to uh, present a name of a brother that you feel would be qualified for this work or for this office. And, uh, And God will provide. He will provide if we are committed to um, God's word, we're committed to live faithful lives as a congregation. and as we give it over to God in prayer, He will provide for the deed. and I am convinced that if we do that God will give a faithful leader. So I wish God's blessing on you as a congregation, as you um, as you choose a, a deacon for the work here, um, I served as deacon for, uh, I guess it was 24 years, <clears throat> and, uh, at the time I was ordained, I, I did not feel qualified, and, uh, when I was ordained bishop then, I felt even less qualified, but, again, God, God, uh, qualifies the call, and, uh, and he will do that for you. Let's